hppodcraft.com. Atop the tallest of Earth's peaks dwell the gods of Earth, and suffer no man to tell that he hath looked upon them. Lesser peaks they once inhabited, but ever the men from the plains would scale the slopes of rock and snow, driving the gods to higher and higher mountains, till now only the last remains. When they left their older peaks, they took with them all signs of themselves, save once, it is said, when they left a carven image on the face of the mountain, which they called Negronic. What do you think that uh, carven image was? Giant middle finger? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a, a naked man with a, an oversized penis. <laughs> Just as Zeus was here. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, really juvenile drawing. <laughs> well, that was the opening paragraph of The Other Gods. The Other Gods. By H.P. Lovecraft. That opening paragraph was read by Julie Hoverson. Yeah. Julie is a friend of the show, a longtime friend of the show, and she runs a great audio drama anthology series called 19 Nocturne Boulevard. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. I, There's I think, some good stuff over yeah, there. Yeah, they so release about two a month, uh, horror and suspense yeah. stories. Mm-hmm. They did a really cool adaptation of The Temple a while ago. Yeah. So I'd recommend people checking that out. Thanks, Julie. Thank you, Julie. I like the notion of men chasing their own gods away. Yeah. I mean, again, I hate, I hate bringing up uh, Lovecraft's uh, atheism, but mm-hmm. I think that, that does uh, play into it a little bit, sure. where, you know, the more that man studies the world around him, the, the less he finds God. You know, like the more he lifts up those rocks and, yeah, no God under there, yeah. you know. That's... <laughs> exactly. You, you know, well, you don't know anything about the world, you have to create gods. Yeah, you have to create gods. Once you start getting inquisitive on about the world, the gods are on the run. Yeah. Now they have betaken themselves to unknown Kadath in the cold waste where no man treads, and are grown stern, having no higher peak whereto to flee at the coming of men. They are grown stern, and where once they suffered men to displace them, they now forbid men to come, or coming to depart. It is well for men that they know not of Kadath in the cold waste, else they would seek injudiciously to scale it. It's like almost a little challenge that Lovecraft is throwing down there. He is. Would some idiot someday please try to find this unknown Kadath? <laughs> um, now, Kadath, we know, is uh, is a story that Lovecraft will write eventually. It's called yeah. uh, The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, and that hasn't happened yet in Lovecraft's right. uh, and, But that idiot is Randolph Carter. Yes, he is. Who's uh, going to make that quest he's gonna make the quest yeah. trying to figure out for people where these gods are now residing and randolph carter of course was the star of the statement of randolph carter which mm-hmm. we have already covered and randolph carter will appear again in the unnameable before that story and uh the silver key well so it's interesting that he he doesn't write the dream quest of unknown Kadath for a couple of years but mm-hmm. he's already setting it up in this story yeah. or maybe it seems that way now Sure. Yeah, I, I I doubt that Lovecraft actually had the foresight that he goes, "Hey, I'm gonna use yeah. that Randolph Quarter." He's he, probably he retconned it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he <did a> retconned. <laughs> uh, well, this guy, you know, in this story though, not not quite as brave as Randolph Carter. They're looking for more uh, low hanging fruit. Sometimes, when Earth's gods are homesick, they visit in the still night the peaks where once they dwelt, and weep softly as they try to play in the olden way on remembered slopes. In cloud ships the gods are wont to travel, 
and wise cotters have legends that keep them from certain high peaks at night when it is cloudy, for the gods are not lenient as of old. So now we get an idea of what's going to happen. The gods are... They're almost like in witness relocation in Canada. <laughs> These know. gods are so uh, impotent and yeah, and they're sissies. I mean, they're like, total sissies. Yeah. They go, they go to places. It, it makes me think of um, uh, the Naked Eye song. Always something there to remind me. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> you know where he goes to the cafes yeah. where they used to you know hang out. They together. walk along the city streets. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, and, that's great. Uh, it's just really pathetic to me, you know. It's like, come on, gods, move yeah, on. You know, exactly. you're not the gods of this area anymore. You know, quit. You know, hanging out at the old joints. You know, those. You're not going to recapture those old times. Uh, and our, but our, 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 our hero in this story is a lot like the hero of Always Something There to Remind Me. <laughs> he's going to all those places where the gods, you know, would go to remember things, and he's kind of dreaming. He, but he knows where the gods are going to show up. He knows where those cafes are, and uh-huh. those, you know, those little tea shops. Where well, they I would say hang. that he's he's like the protagonist of that song. He is like an uber fan of Naked Eyes, You're right? And he's paid attention to all of the songs that they've written. He's so decoded. Where he's all decoded all the are. things. So he's going to go and find find out where the. <laughs> That's right. So he's, okay. you know, he's keeping an eye out because he knows eventually these guys are going to get homesick. Uh-huh. Uh, with this guy that we're talking about uh, is actually also from a, a familiar location to us. Oh, yes. He's from Ulthar. In Ulthar, which lies beyond the river sky, once dwelt an old man, avid to behold the gods of Earth, a man deeply learned in the seven cryptical books of Hazan and familiar with the necotic manuscripts of distant and frozen Lomar. His name was Barzai the Wise, and the villagers tell of how he went up a mountain on the night of the strange eclipse. Barzai knew so much of the gods that he could tell of their comings and goings, and guessed so many of their secrets that he was deemed half a god himself. It was he who wisely advised the burgesses of Ulthar when they passed their remarkable law against the slaying of cats and who first told the young priest Aton where it is that black cats go at midnight on St. John's Eve. So we've got some earlier stories. Yeah, we're well, well, with some earlier stories and some future stories again. Obviously, the narcotic manuscripts are from uh, Polaris. Mm-hmm. As is the location Lomar. As Lomar is from Polaris. We also have uh, the, the seven cryptical books of uh, San, or mm-hmm. Hassan, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Yeah. Uh, that will be in uh, the Dream Quest. Oh, okay. Yeah. And obviously, Ulthar is the main location of the cats, the of, cats Ulthar. of Ulthar. And the young priest, Atal, uh, is in that story the cats of all yeah he's the kid that saw the cats doing the the dance well he's older now yeah he's older now but then he was a kid the innkeeper's son yeah he was the innkeeper's son but now he's you know a a priest priest in training a priest in training a uh you know like uh an obi-wan to barzai's qui-gon jinn right (laughs) 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 and uh the saint john's eve they referenced i thought was interesting actually because that St. John's Eve wouldn't have existed at the time. If this story is uh, in prehistory. Oh, right. St. John's Eve happens in the summer. Uh, and it's, Oh, right, yeah. There was no St. John in ancient No, because St. John was born like six months before Jesus. So we, you know, six months before Christmas, we celebrate this. Now, it does fall on the on midsummers uh-huh. or the June solstice. So they would have had the June solstice in this story. They just wouldn't. That's Lovecraft right. calling it St. John's Eve. Right, right. Um, but in Ireland, they celebrate St. John's Eve. You know, they light big bonfires and they jump through them. And actually, St. John's, John's Eve is also very important in voodoo. 
What? Yeah. Well, I know that voodoo is a, is got a lot of Catholic imagery and saint worship mixed in with well, there you uh, go. Um, African. So yeah. that, I guess that would make sense. St. John's Eve is important to voodoo. There's lots of um, fun little ghostly uh, evil things in this story. Despite it being this kind of prehistory, there's lots of little fun things like that. But uh, like the black cats, you know, where do they go at midnight on St. John's Eve? <laughs> Which, by the way, Denny's. Oh. Yeah, Denny's. I don't oh. know what the big secret is. Yeah, well, they do have uh, really good specials in yeah. 24 hours. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, yeah, yeah, it's not a yeah. problem. No secret at all. Sorry to blow that for everybody, but... I know. I, I, I don't I don't eat uh, meat. Right. Moon's over my hammy, though. Used to be a hit for you. Yeah, Maybe not now. it was now. a big deal. <laughs> Barzai is part of that long-standing literary tradition of men who would who would tamper in God's domain. So well, so, I mean, uh, Barzai, I mean, I think he studied about the gods and the gods' ways so much that he himself was, in the story it says, he was considered a demigod. That's right. He, he He's not really afraid of them because he thinks he's got enough secret knowledge that he can protect himself from their yeah. wrath. Uh, so he knows that the gods are going to be around on the summit of this mountain called Haggath Claw one night. Mm-hmm. This is one of those spots that he's been watching. It's this giant rocky mountain off in the stony desert with mists shrouding its peak. So he leaves Ulthar with Atal as his assistant, mm-hmm. and he shows up in Hathag ready to climb the mountain. Of course, the villagers, they, they think that's a terrible idea right? Uh, to climb this mountain, particularly when the mists are around it, since those are supposed to be the, the memories of gods. But Barzai ignores them. He's not a superstitious person, despite knowing all these things about the gods. You know, he's from uh, aristocracy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have these smaller-minded superstitions. No, which is, it seems to be a bit of a... The way that I think that Barzai looks at it is he understands physics. Yeah. You know, like he understands mathematics and all of these other ideas that they have. Because the gods work within the rules of the universe uh, and he right. understands those rules. Yeah. These people are talking about things that are superstition. So I think that's why he could separate those those yeah. two things. And metaphorically, I think it works great. I mean, he, he is somebody who's an enlightenment thinker who's ready to chase the gods out of their last hiding place to an extent. Right. You know, He laughs at their stories, even though Atal, being the innkeeper's son, you know, does hold with some of those superstitious fear so right. he, he experiences a little fear on he's a little nervous but you know uh, Barzai is uh, he's the boss yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, so despite all these warnings uh, you know Barzai and Atal they go to the desert they travel 13 days and arrive at the base of the mountain of course mm-hmm. it's 13 days 13 yeah. days yeah black cats 13 days surprise it doesn't say as they walked they played records backwards and painted each other's fingernails black <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah it's so metal I wish they did that is brutal <laughs> Lovecraft, this, he's really getting, you can see metal, his metal influence coming out. I know, it's story. coming, it's coming. Uh, so they climb and they climb and they climb mm-hmm. this snowy, rocky, dangerous mountain. And when they get close to the top, they stop and they wait a few days for clouds to show up, you know, up there. Because those are the memories. Of God. That tells you the gods are going to yeah, be Yeah, because the gods, they use, they come in on the clouds because yeah. they have cloud ships. Right, they fly around on clouds they and moonbeams. They fly around so. on cloud ships. <laughs> exactly. yeah, that's, it's... Uh, <laughs> Now, I'm not sure if those use wind power, the cloud ships, or if they or maybe they have some kind of cloud motor, you know, and use know. some kind of vapor gasoline to power their cloud motor. <laughs> I'm sure Barzai brought all sorts of little, you know, devices to test <laughs> the fuel composition of the cloud ships. Right, right, right. On the night of the full moon, <gasps> full moon, uh, the vapors start drawing around the moon, mm. and Barzai says, all right, let's, let's hit it, even though the tall is kind of reticent, and he leaves yeah. behind so thick were the vapors that the way was hard, and though Atal followed on at last, he could scarce see the gray shape of Barzai on the dim slope above in the clouded moonlight. So Barzai's just excited. Oh, yeah. He takes off. Oh, he does. And he has no fear. 
That's nope. the big thing because yeah. Tall's hanging back one because well he's a little tired, but also yeah. because he's kind of afraid. Yeah. And Bars uh, Barzai, he's climbing guy, like crazy. Like crazy. Forget it. Forget yeah. about it. That guy's crazy. much better than somebody of his age should be climbing. Yeah. And uh, Atal's having a hard time keeping pace. They seem to be getting close to what you know what's described as the meeting place of the gods. I suppose mm-hmm. the summit of this mountain. And then uh, Barzai scales this cliff that looks ridiculously difficult. I mean, yeah. how he could climb over it, I don't know. I, in my head, I imagine it's one of these like Looney Tunes, you know. Uh, well, you know how the cliff kind of goes out, so it almost hangs overhead. So yeah. he's actually upside. He down. scales the ceiling. Like, yeah, together, like yeah. he has to go upside down to get up to the thing. <laughs> right. That's how I saw it. At That's least. how I saw yeah. it too. Um, so Barzai disappears when he goes over the lip of this cliff, and and he starts yelling, and it all can hear him. He says, uh, I have heard the gods. I have heard Earth's gods singing in revelry on Hathaglar. The mists are thin and the moon is bright, and I shall see the gods dancing wildly on Hathaglar that they loved in youth. The wisdom of Borsai hath made him greater than Earth's gods, and against his will their spells and barriers are as naught. Borsai will behold the gods, the proud gods, the secret gods the gods of earth who spurn the sight of men well first of all you gotta look out for a guy who refers to himself in the third person definitely yeah yeah, yeah. you're right <laughs> <laughs> and the stuff that he's spewing you know uh, he's better than the gods you yeah. know like mm-hmm. he's setting himself up for a fall Absolutely. Yeah. He's like Dr. Eric Vornoff in Bride of the Monster. He- <laughs> <laughs> Which I honestly didn't write that one down, but I either earlier I said he tampered in God's domain, uh-huh. which is an Ed Wood quote. <laughs> somehow it worked its way into my brain. I didn't even mean to say it. This is, this is such a silly thing to say. Oh. But he is. He's. This is almost like it. He's like Dr. Frankenstein in a way, or any of these protagonists right. who... It's I'm a, going to challenge the gods. Yeah, and it's hubris. It's like, you know, he's not up there as a scientist. He's up there as a guy who is thinks he's the best. He's better yeah, than everything. Better exactly. than the gods, better than nature, the best. Mm-hmm. And Atal can hear him up there ranting about it, all the great dancing he's going to see, uh-huh. uh, you know, how, how he's so much better than the gods. But Atal feels this strange sort of shifting in the air. And although the way up is steeper than it's ever been, he's suddenly able to scale it sort of easily uh-huh. it's almost as if he's sliding upward uh-huh. and as he flies up the mountain through the mists the light of the moon begins to fail and Barzai's yelling takes on a much different aspect uh-huh. he says the moon is dark and the gods dance in the night there is terror in the sky for upon the moon hath sunk an eclipse foretold in no books of men or of earth's gods at last in the dim light I behold the gods of earth and then Atal can hear this terrible cry of horror. Uh-huh. And we know that, that maybe Barzai is seeing yeah. something he did not count on. Things aren't, things aren't going well for Barzai. The other gods! The other gods! The gods of the outer hells that guard the feeble gods of Earth! Look away! Go back! Do not see! Do not see! The vengeance of the infinite abysses, that cursed, that damnable pit! Yeah, that's a good one. In fact, that quote right there was best line picked out by Dada Voodoo. Yeah, best line. I'm falling line. into have, the sky. I'm falling into the sky, which is really, it's a cool line. I would go back and say that if at the end of the moon bog, 
that uh-huh. character in there who did get drawn up into the sky right. were shouting, I am falling into the sky. It would have been so much cooler. It would have been so much cooler. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really neat inversion of what somebody might be screaming at. Well, right. Well, because, I mean, moment. it's the laws of the universe. Like, whatever you stumbled on stumbled onto the laws of the universe are reversing like yeah. gravity is in reverse because things are so crazy you yeah. know that is scary and there's this terrible peal of thunder that rings out and even the people in Ulthar can hear this and the moon suddenly falls under this strange eclipse Atal shuts his eyes stops listening he gets the heck out he goes down the mountain yeah and when the moon comes out again he's safe on the snows below you know later the men of Ulthar and Hathek they go look for Barzai mm-hmm. during the day because he's he never he just disappears and they don't find anything but there is a giant symbol carved into the face of the rock of that mountain mm-hmm. and it's just like that symbol that was referenced in the first paragraph right this symbol was found after a man named Sansu tried to do this very you know same yep. thing when the earth was young bars are the wise they never found nor could the holy priest Atal ever be persuaded to pray for his soul's repose moreover to this day the people of Ulthar and Nier and Hathig fear eclipses and pray by night when pale vapors hide the mountaintop and the moon and above the mists on Hatheg Claw Earth's gods sometimes dance reminiscently for they know they are safe and love to come from unknown Kadath in ships of cloud and play in the olden way as they did when the earth was new and men not given to the climbing of inaccessible places. And that's the end. That's a really cool last line, though. Men not given to the climbing of inaccessible places. Uh-huh. I, I mean, for me, this whole story is kind of a, a re-statement of Lovecraft's basic cosmic view kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. like science and knowledge and learning and you know we think that we're getting better we think that we're getting strong but once we get there and we find out what's really happening we're we're in for a, a slap in the face it's this i mean it's kind of the same thing in in most of his big stories his cosmic view of the universe like we think we understand what's going on as humans we think we are the masters of our domain and our world and our universe but there are places that if we go we're going to find stuff that we're not ready for and we can't deal with yeah the the, the other gods frequently described as gods in these type of fiction they're actually more representations of the ugly scientific truth that, that so much of life is random, meaningless mutation. Mm-hmm. There is no master plan. And if there is, we're not involved, nor could we understand it. Yeah. And as long as we're able to focus on a fictional world where man is the center, mm-hmm. where there are gods that we serve, that serve us, that uh-huh. we, you know, we can stay sane. But when we ignore the superstition, we pursue enlightenment, uh-huh. when we chase the gods, yeah. eventually we're going to see what there is without them. Mm-hmm. And that's the chaos. And that's going to that's gonna make us fall into the yeah. sky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the story, he says that these, uh, you know, the other gods guard the feeble gods of Earth. Yeah, the he feeble. screams that yeah, out. Yeah. Uh, so the gods that he wanted to see get in their face and tell them, you know, they're moated, are nothing compared to these other gods. Yeah, yeah, they're feeble. Yeah, and then and then when he sees what guards them, right away, run away, yeah. go back, and yeah. says he he just knows what we just said. Now that it's been revealed to me, maybe this wasn't the best idea. Atal, get back down the mountain. Maybe some things you don't want to see, you know. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, it's his hubris. He thought he knew, and he did know. Oh, I, you know, I'm just guessing. He did know the ways yeah. of, the, of, the, of the gods, Earth's gods. Yeah. But what he found up on that mountain wasn't Earth's gods. He found the real gods or the gods above them, you know, mm-hmm. that. Which do, in a way, protect the gods of the Earth. I mean, if you when people come into contact with the true 
you know, horror of existence or their smallness. I, I'm, I'm saying, you know, around like a death sure. or a great tragedy. Uh-huh. People will often, I, I think after 9-11, so many people came back to the church. Right. And they, they found some solace in their religion. There's there's nothing wrong with that. But, I, I mean, I guess my point is that when we do make contact with the uh, the true chaotic nature of things, you know, when our vulnerabilities are exposed to the fact that maybe we're not as meaningful people as we think we are, right. then that's that's that glimpse is protection for the, the Earth gods. Then we go yes. back to Earth gods, right. back into their shelter. Uh, a little background on the story. It was it was written August fourteenth, nineteen twenty one, but wasn't published until nineteen thirty three. Wow, quite a time. Yeah, and the fantasy fan, and that's about it, really. Mm-hmm. There's not you, a lot you of truly meant a little background. Yeah, there was a little background. <laughs> there isn't much information about the story. Lovecraft didn't write much about it. Well, there is a bit of misinformation about this story. Well, you know, you know, looking around as part of my research that I do on these stories, I found a lost animation. I had a little a little mystery, my own little Lovecraftian, yeah. uh, you know, exploration. Supposedly, there's this filmmaker and animator named Peter Rhodes that had contact with Lovecraft, and he wanted to adapt the other gods into an, an animation. But supposedly, that animation was lost and never never to be found again. But recently, uh, some some people found it mm-hmm. and restored it, and now you can watch it on the web. We'll put a link up to it so you mm-hmm. guys can check it out. Pretty cool animation. You yeah, know, I it looks, looks good. Looks. Um, it's kind of a cutout style, which mm-hmm. you know, which which is a style of animation that was used in the twenties, or actually, it's been used since there's been animation. I looked at the, I was like, I've never heard about this before, like that Lovecraft actually sanctioned a film, and I started doing some research. I tried to find anything on Peter Rhodes, and all I could ever find on him was this on this website that about these people that uh-huh. you know, restored restored the film, and then I started to realize that oh wait a minute, this is. I don't think this is real. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's a real movie, and it's right. it's it's cool. It's, it's cool. really good, and I thought actually that was a great little conceit, you know? Right? It's, yeah. It's lost. Yeah. Uh, there's this lost animation and stuff like that. Subterranean entertainment. Subterranean entertainment might be a tip off of where their interests lie. Well, and, and, what, <laughs> and what it was too. It's a company that does animation. Like, yeah. and I'm like, wait, why would an animation company restore? Oh, of course they didn't restore right. it. They, they made it. <laughs> they made it. So well, good on them, though. This is yeah. not. This story is not adapted as frequently as others. And, and I no. thought it was a really cool job. And it was a cool. It's a really cool animation. It's yeah. a very distinct style, sort of a Middle Eastern kind of like Middle Eastern slash Indian kind of mixture of style and the characters and things. It was really. Cool. And another tip off of that this might not have been adapted. There are there's a little bit of extrapolation in the end of it when they show yes. all the gods and they mention some gods not mentioned yet in Love yes, Lovecraft's work. Exactly. Yeah. When when supposedly they it was like in twenty five, I think Lovecraft yeah. gave his permission to do the thing, which right. they referenced some stuff in the animation that isn't that Lovecraft didn't write about in twenty five. It right, was until exactly. afterwards. But that you know, it was kind of fun. I had this I little, it was really cool. I had this little mystery, you know, that that and um, you know, trying to figure this stuff out. I haven't I mean, I'm, maybe I am wrong, but I'm really pretty sure I'm not. It was cool. It's a cool animation. It's a link in the show notes. I definitely go watch it. So overall, would you did you liked the story? Um, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I didn't. No, no, not really. Yeah, no. I thought it was a it was, it was a pleasant little read. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's not. Um, see, that's the thing. It's it's all right. I, I I didn't really like it. I didn't hate it. It was just, and that, sometimes that's the worst. <laughs> like if right. I hate it, I. I enjoy hating it, and yeah. if I love it, I enjoy loving it. You know, so yeah, but if that's it's like just... Victoria Jackson on Saturday Night Live. She's like the real movie rating systems. Like the best movies are five star movies and one star movies. The yeah. worst <laughs> movies are three star movies. You know, 
Because if a movie is, you know, if a movie's terrible, it's it can be beautiful and it's Absolutely, horrible. Absolutely, yeah. Like specifically, the room. Yeah, the room. The Tommy, Tommy was so filmed the room. The room. Yeah, which is probably the worst slash best movie ever made. Absolutely. Well, you know, I've seen. I I love bad movies. I used to. And Chris, you've gone to this a couple times too. Bee Fest in oh, Chicago, yeah. mm-hmm. at the Northwestern campus um, in Evanston, Illinois, they have a 24-hour B movie festival every year. And myself and a lot of people I went to college with, and Chris, we'd go there, and you just get locked into this theater for 24 hours. Yeah, well, they I mean, just show you terrible. Not necessarily locked, but they was... do not let you out. <laughs> There's you can I you mean, can leave if you want. You can leave, but you can't come back in. That's right. the thing. So we watch, and you know, there'll there'll be a nice mix of 50s sci-fi movies and then there'll be some Jim Cotta from the 80s or yeah. something. Yeah, just a, all types of bad science fiction bad movies, regular yeah. bad movies and, you know, they're just really fun to watch. And, fun, yeah. You all get together against the bad movie yeah. and, you know. But but The Room, which f- was made uh, maybe five years ago and this guy Tommy was so that made it has just been showing it in Los Angeles. Now I think you can get it on DVD. You can get it on DVD. It's also they did some screenings in New York and stuff. Yeah. But it's sort of taken on this sort of cult like status. I mean, I saw it four or five years ago. Yeah. Like I, not, I was I was late to it, but I still see it on on the news. People. Yeah, we we both came to it late, uh, but there wasn't even later because they got to write up an Entertainment Weekly, and then these celebrities started to go yeah. see it. I saw it on news on on CBS like Alec Baldwin went to the <laughs> right. to the screening of the room. So. But anyway, all I, I was just getting at it is bad in ways I couldn't have anticipated. Oh, yeah. They're just so delightful. It's surprisingly bad yeah. in ways that you can never anticipate, and exactly. that is the joy. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Unfortunately, The Other Gods does not give you that. No. Uh, it's pretty mediocre. Yeah, you're right. It's pretty mediocre, but I wouldn't tell anybody not to read it. No, no. And if you are a completist and if you're looking for the mythology, the whole thing, great place to, to get Oh, some yeah. There's a lot of uh, crucial uh, dreamland slash prehistory stuff in yeah. the story. So, yeah, exactly. yeah, check it out. I want to thank you, Julie, again for doing our reading. Julie, good job. And uh, as always, we've got that donate button on our website. Yes. Um, um, if you I... donate $20 or more, we will give you a soundtrack CD. And that's before the end of the year we're running that promotion. Yes. Uh, until until the 31st, yeah. uh, you get that if you donate. It's got all original music by Chad and a friend of the show, Lyle Erickson. That's right. He does a couple tracks on there and some with Chad. So there's kind of a merging in there. It's really cool CD. I love it. Just to let you know, Ghost Disco is one of the tracks on there. <laughs> That's right. And I, 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 I'm sampled in there, which I didn't... You distorted it so much, Chad, that I uh-huh. didn't recognize my voice. That's right. It's you. It is me. Yeah, yeah. you told Guess me that I was in there. And I'm like, what? what is he talking about? And then I listen to it again. I go, all oh, right. That's... <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Uh, so, you know, pick it up. It's it's really cool. There's lots of great music in there. All of it, awesome. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we are uh, here in December. Yes. Heading quickly towards the winter solstice and Christmas, mm-hmm. Hanukkah and Kwanzaa. And uh, many of you may not know this, but H.P. Lovecraft, big fan of Christmas. He loved the holiday. Loved it. Uh, there's a nice little collection of Christmas poems that he wrote to some of his friends. Yes. And uh, we've got that here. So over the month of December, we're going to throw up some... We're going to throw up little readings. Just uh, here and there, you're going to get... If you subscribe to the show, you'll get uploaded the little... You know, it'll be uh, our reader, Andrew Lehman, who mm-hmm. is awesome, will be reading you some Lovecraft's Christmas poems. We thought we'd get that roll in here on this podcast yeah. the other gods. So here's a little sampling of Lovecraft's Christmas poetry read by the incomparable Andrew Lehman. Festival. There is snow on the ground, and the valleys are cold, and a midnight profound blackly squats o'er the wold. That a light on the hilltops, half seen hints of feastings unhallowed and old. 
There is death in the clouds, there is fear in the night. For the dead in their shrouds hail the sun's turning flight, and chant wild in the woods as they dance round a yule altar fungus and white. To no gale of earth's kind sways the forest of oak, where the sick boughs entwined by mad mistletoes choke, for those powers are the powers of the dark from the graves of the lost druid folk. And mayest thou to such deeds be an abbot and priest, singing cannibal greeds at each devil-wrought feast, and to all the incredulous world showing dimly the sign of the beast. Uh, wow, great job. Love it. It's like Santa Claus came down the chimney and filled my heart with dread. <laughs> uh, some of you know some of the poems are actually, <laughs> as you will see, some of them are just really nice. They're really pleasant little poems, and some of them, like the last one, is a little bit yeah. more dreadful. So, uh, <laughs> look for more of that. Look and, for more and, and, uh, in the in the month. Yeah. So, what do we have next week, Jen? We'll get ready to strap on your dancing shoes, Chris, because we have. <laughs> Because our next story is going to be the music of Eric Zahn. Woo! All right. I like Eric Zahn. Now, he, was he in Metallica for a while? Yeah, he was okay. in Metallica. Mm-hmm. Great. In the Mustaine years. Yeah. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Sure. That's it for today. That's it for today. I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And this has been the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. HPPodcraft.com. podcraft.com